So, how, how's, how's the joy meter in your life? We talked about joy last week, like stepping into the Christmas season, and we talked about how joy often leaks, you know, that over time, just the tendency and the, the gravitational pull of life, you know, just tends to suck a little joy out of us. Anybody? Yeah, and, and that's just natural. It's just part of the world in which we live. And we talked about the, the idea that sometimes you, you just walk into joy in an unexpected way. And um, I didn't finish a story last week about uh, my, my son, Ka- uh, Charlie, who is an unexpected gift. And Robin t- reminded me, as she does so well, that I didn't finish the story and r- remind everybody that, that Charlie, in the middle of the night when he cried, he wasn't just a... a the one who pulled the joy out of our lives. He actually brought more joy than he took out of, and I just wanted to make sure you knew that. (laughs) And that one day he doesn't watch this and last week and wonder if I was saying that he didn't bring any joy. He He brought, Charlie, this unexpected gift in our life brought so much joy that our family just would not be what it is without him. And, uh, we always say, you know, he, he just was this gift of joy that God gave him, gave us. And, um, and some of you get that. So, some of you realize that there's, there's times you walk into something that was unexpected and you receive joy. But joy, we talked about being, it's, it's a choice that we can make as well. And so this little phrase, choose joy, right? You can choose joy this week. And I can choose joy this week. And it's a daily choice uh, to, to not ignore the difficulties and pain of the world, because that is a reality that we all walk into, but, but that we can choose joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, understanding that there are bigger pictures, there, there's a bigger perspective uh, to this world. And I know some in this room, uh, and, and a part of our, our church community, have had really rough years this year. It's just been a year that has just felt like a never-ending punch in the gut. And, uh, and, and you might be someone who's been walking through that, and you would say, where's the joy in that? Just repeatedly. And uh, joy is the choice to trust God and to trust that he is working for your good even if and the Bible tells us that, history tells us that, that God is always working for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. And it's just a different perspective. It's a way of approaching our, our daily life. And so I'd encourage you, if, if this last week, joy was tough. Yeah, and it, God has a way of when you talk about something, then like uh, t- testing you in that and challenging you that in that. And, and I had some of those challenges this week of... And I had this reminder, Matt, you talked about it last week. You better choose some joy today if, uh, if you're going to walk what you, what you preach. And we all need to do that. We all need to, the, the things that we say we believe, we need to lean into them and choose to be that kind of people. Well, today I want to talk about something a little bit different. I want to talk about hope. And Christian hope is one of the primary uh, themes throughout Scripture. And for the early church, the followers of Jesus, those who were on the way of Jesus, uh, hope became the thing, the, the, the attitude, the, the, the theme that, that got them through what seemed to be overwhelming odds against culture. 
that they, they lived in this culture and in a time when the Roman Empire would actually, almost as sport, put them to death, the, the early Christians. But hope became something that, that gave them a, a light and promised them that, that the God who was faithful in the past would be the same God who would be faithful in the future, right? And it's sometimes in the midst of a circumstance difficult to look like, like, like God is there or that he cares, but the, the faithful God of the past is the same God of the present, and he will be faithful in the future. And our hope resides in that as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And even in the darkest of times, we can have hope that God is with us, and God is for us, and God is actually in us and working for good. And so I want to talk about hope. Um, there's a, there's a group in the United States up in the Northwest. It's called the Bible Project, and they do an amazing job. They're one of our, our, our partners. We we've, uh, support them at a small level financially just because we believe in what they're doing and, and also because we use so much of their materials. And the Bible Project is a group that puts together uh, videos to help us understand that the Bible is a unified story, and it finds its culmination in Jesus uh, Old Testament and New Testament finds its culmination in Jesus, and it gives us a new way to be human. And the way they describe hope is a way that I thought we needed to hear. And so we're going to watch just a short video that they put together. It's like a cartoon. Are you guys ready for a cartoon today? A little bit of a cartoon. You can laugh as you're watching it. We did some, um, we have closed captioning too, just to help us so we don't miss anything. Tim Mackey is the teacher. He's brilliant. I love Tim Mackey. And all, I mean, he, his his perspective and the way that he reads scripture and teaches it, I just really um, connect with. He speaks very quickly. So you got to like have your radar, you're, you're, you got to be in tune with him. So I'm giving you warning. Are you with me? We even slowed the video down just a little bit <laughs> because he speaks so quickly. Okay, enough. All right, here it is. This is hope. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for 
is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kava for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sin. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Yeah. Now, there's just a little bit tucked into that video. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, looking back, looking at the, the way that the Hebrew people uh, saw this concept of hope and waiting for the Lord, and if you think the promise to, to Abraham, which began the whole nation of Israel, but Abraham had to wait for the Lord, and God eventually delivered them into their own land, and the own land, their own land was called the promised land, yeah, the promised land, but then Israel uh, underwent like destruction because of enemies coming in and taking their land, and they were divided amongst the nations, scattered amongst the nations, and they once again had to wait for God, place their hope in the midst of the circumstances in which they lived. Have you ever found yourself in circumstances that felt as if there was no hope? Have you ever found yourself in, in, a, in a circumstance, a situation, where it seemed as if there was no light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, maybe some of you today 
find yourself in that situation? Or have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought and you had some hope for some realized future, yet you never were able to realize what you had hoped for and you were let down? And you wondered, where was God when I thought that that is what would be waiting? Waiting for the Lord is not easy. Choosing to place your hope in God is not easy, especially when the circumstances around you push you in another direction. What I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to begin with a very famous uh, Christmas passage of Scripture found in the Old Testament. And I want to walk through it uh, in just a couple of minutes and, and point out a few different things. And then I want to move uh, from that into the, the life of Jesus and then some of his followers, how they understood hope in the midst of difficulty. And maybe wrap it up talking about us today in the world in which we live and what hope might look like uh, this Christmas in our world. You ready? You with me? Got most of you. Good. So you'll, you'll recognize this passage. It's found in Isaiah, and it was a prophecy, a picture that Isaiah saw and wanted to, to paint a picture for the Israelites who were, if you remember, scattered amongst the nations. So uh, just some context, Israel was given its own land. Uh, God's people had their own land. It was the promised land, a land flowing with milk and Wow. You guys are with me. That's awesome. Uh, but Israel was not faithful to their God, the one who had provided this land. And because of that, they walked into some circumstances that were overwhelming. They were attacked by outsiders, and they were taken and scattered among the nations. So Israel um, was no longer, in a sense, a people in a place, in a location. And so the prophets spoke and, and, and gave these uh, brutal, honest pictures of destruction, to be honest. I mean, to be honest, if you read the prophets uh, and you just read the beginning of the prophets' words, you think, oh my goodness, like the end of the world is near. I mean, it was just brutal and honest and raw. And so you read some of those things and you think, but is there any hope? But most of the prophets turned the corner and talked about this idea of waiting for God and hoping in, in the same God who had provided freedom from, from uh, the Egyptians, that that same God would show up and provide freedom once again. So that passage in Isaiah chapter 9, famous Christmas passage, some of you might have it on your tree. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Yeah. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now imagine with me, if you can put yourself back there just for a second, to imagine... Um, a time in which, I'm trying to think of a, a way to describe uh, what, what this would be like. Imagine that the Canadians weren't the quiet, soft nation that, that they seem to be to us today, but rather they were gathering their armies to one day move in that northern border, which is so open, they would just move down and begin a path of destruction among us, and then they would come in and they would take us and scatter us all over the world. Imagine that, that if you were taken from your home, that's a little bit funny, right? Some of you are Canadians, I know, but, um, and you found yourself in some foreign land, and, and 
and your family was scattered, you know, your cousins and your aunts and uncles, they were somewhere different. They weren't with you any longer. You were just scattered among, and you felt like you, you would feel like you were in darkness, like you had no connection. There's no internet. There's no social media, no Facebook to look at pictures of your cousin. Like you just are completely cut off. You would feel as though you were in darkness, right? Does that make sense? And that's how the Israelites felt. They felt like they lived in complete darkness, no connection to their loved ones whatsoever. And so this is who Isaiah is speaking to, and he gives them some hope. He says, the, the end is not here. For those who, who live in darkness, who are walking in darkness, in fact, great darkness, a light will shine. Now, that's, that's a word of hope, isn't it? It's a good word, a, a, a word of promise from God. And he goes on and he says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now do you know the verse? Are you with me? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And at the end of his government, uh, it, it will never end. There will be no end to his reign, right? So that seems promising, that seems like what, what, what Isaiah is writing or what he's speaking, whatever he did in that time, oh my gosh, that is what we need to hear in this moment of darkness. And it gives me some hope. I want to wait for that God. And you almost read it and you think, oh, a, a child is born. That's in the present. It's right now a son is given and the government, yes, finally, we will be freed from these Canadians who are so... You, you, would, you would think that he's talking about the present, and you would think things are getting better. How many years do you think from, from Isaiah till Jesus? Maybe over 500 years? Yeah. Over 500 years. Can you imagine hearing that promise and thinking it's... We're, we're on the brink, we're on the edge, and we are waiting with expectation. Hundreds of years. Dark times. Uh, there's, there's some other little pieces to this that are interesting to me. If you, were in a for, if you had been scattered to a foreign land and you, and you had hope that a God was going to show up, would you think that God would, would be in the form of a child, number one? A child? And they're going to call this child, mighty God, everlasting father, a child? Have you ever met a child? Even when you read this and, and you look back, you, you begin to ask the question, well, well, did God really fulfill this prophecy? Did he fulfill his, his promise? Was the government ever resting upon the shoulders of Jesus? Because we look at it and we think, well, this is talking about Jesus. So did the, did the government ever rest upon the shoulders of Jesus? What's your perspective on that? Did it? Hmm. In the first century, a government displayed its power 
by its military strength and its ability to control the people within their reign. And if you didn't live as if you, like you were told to live, then you would be punished. What's the greatest punishment that you could think of in the first century? Jail? Crucifixion? So now, with that idea, that concept, did, did the government ever rest upon the shoulders of Jesus? Mm. As, he, as he carried this wooden beam that was the picture of power for the Romans. See, even, even the way that God fulfills his promises don't always match the ways that we're looking for God to fulfill his promises. And the challenge becomes, do we hope in him anyway? And what is it that God is doing even when I don't understand the way the story is playing out in my life? Hmm. So there's a, there's a tremendous difference. They mentioned this in the, in the video. There's a tremendous difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is this positive outlook on the future. I have this positive outlook on, on what's going to happen. Hope is an expectation of a realized promise based on a faithful past. That it's not based on the circumstances in which I find myself, but it's based upon the God who has been faithful to me in the past, has been faithful to his people, has been faithful to all of humanity. That is hope. Hope doesn't ignore reality. It simply reframes reality. Hope reframes reality in our minds. It gets our eyes off the circumstances and reminds us of God's promises, that this moment doesn't have the final word in my life, and I am not defined by the circumstances by which I'm in currently. Now, that's a big deal, that hope reminds us that we are not defined by the circumstances that we're in right now. You are not defined by what's happening in your life today. You're not defined by what has happened to you in the past, and you're not defined by what you're walking through in this current moment. Hope. Hope gives us a... a a clearer picture than that. Have you ever heard of uh, a, a man by the name of Viktor Frankl? Anybody ever hear of Viktor Frankl? So Viktor Frankl uh, was born, uh, in, I think, in the 20s in Austria. And I think at the age of 20 uh, is when he was captured, put into a, a barrio or a... a um, an area reserved, you know, just for Jewish people, and then was taken to Auschwitz. His whole family. A ghetto. Yeah, yeah, a ghetto. And then taken to Auschwitz. And only Victor and one of his sisters made it out. Now, Victor was a, was a thinker. Uh, he, he's well known in the psychology field. And um, Victor began to practice, in a sense, psychology in the concentration camp. He would meet with prisoners. And he began to ask the question, 
what is it within our lives, the lives of those that I'm working with, what is it that allows some to live while others die? Given the same circumstances, right? How is it that some are able to come out on the other side and some aren't? And he began to like record, they, like he, they have these, he records what he's doing with uh, the, the prisoners and he records what happens in the lives of those and, 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 and he comes down on the idea that hope really is the thing. Once you lose hope, once you let go of hope, really you begin a downward trend of death. He said some prisoners, he would record, some prisoners believed with all that they were that they would be out by the new year, for example. But once that, that date came and went, they would quickly slip into disease and die because they had lost all hope. And he wrote a book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. It's probably his most famous work. And if you're... Uh, if you're interested in this at all, I would encourage you to pick up that book. The first half of the book is about his experiences in Auschwitz, and then the second half of the book is where he kind of puts together some of his, his thoughts, such as this. Um, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. That hope is something that cannot be taken from you and it cannot be taken from me, regardless of the circumstances that surround us. And hope is the thing that actually can give us the strength and the ability to hold on even when everything around us tells us that we will not survive what it is that we're facing. Now, he would say even some of those who had great hope still died based on some of the circumstances, but hope was the thing that kept many of them alive and kept them moving kept them positive. And hope, when, 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 when planted firmly within God, was another distinguishing factor. Those, some hoped, and, and they, 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 their hope was based on the idea that they would get out and return to a normal life. And when they got out and, and realized they didn't return to a normal life, many of them slipped into depression. And eventually their lives were gone as well. But hope, like, centered firmly in God was something that, that could not be taken away from them. Are you with me? Yeah. And then he said this. Um, I, I love this because it's, it's, it's a choice and it's, and it's, a, it's a perspective that we, we, can, we can move ourselves toward. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves isn't that a great thought? And, and what Victor, his conclusion, what he came to was that, that in life, there is meaning to be found in your life and in my life. And even in the darkest of days, there is meaning to be found in that. And when we find ourselves unable to change or control what it is that is going on around us, we can still choose to find meaning by what's going on internally. And no one externally can take that from us. And for many of you in this room, some walking through just a dark moment in your life and you're wondering, where is God in the midst of all this? And I have hoped and I have waited for him. And it doesn't seem like he 
cares, that he's present, that he's around. And where is God in all of this? The early Christians asked that very question. Like, where is he? Like, we're following Jesus. Like, we believe Jesus to be the Messiah, and he wasn't the kind of Messiah we were looking for, but still we're following him, and we're being killed for our faith in Jesus. Where is he? And you know, the conclusion of the early Christians, I think, is the same conclusion for us. And they said it again and again and again in the New Testament. Here it is. God is with us even when we don't sense him. God is for us. Like he's working for your good. He's working for my good. And God is, he's not just with us, like around us, like he's within us. God is in us. God is in you. And no one and no circumstance can take that. And hope is waiting on that God, trusting in that God, leaning into that God, even in the midst of overwhelming darkness all around. So just a couple of passages, and, and then, like for us, what do, we, what do we do with this? A couple passages, and then we're going to sing and reflect just a little bit and spend some time thinking about hope and, in our lives. Um, Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, will fill you completely with, what are those two things? Joy and peace, yeah. I pray that God, who is the source of hope, that expectation, that, that, that longing, he is the source of that. I pray that he will fill you with joy and peace. Now remember, he was writing to Rome. Where was the center of Roman power? Rome. Where was the Colosseum? Rome. Where were they killing Christians in the midst of... Rome, I pray that God, the source of hope, would fill you, even in the midst of overwhelming odds, with, with joy and peace. And then, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Spirit who's in you. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. In another letter uh, to the Corinthian church, he writes this, that there are three things that will last forever. Now, this is interesting. Uh, these are three things that will never end. So the more, that we can, uh, the more that we can develop these in our lives, the less that has to burn away from us as we enter into eternity. Now, that's an interesting thought. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? I promise I'm not going to do it this morning. But that's a whole other sermon. That the, the, the very things that will last forever, the more that we can develop those in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, the less that burns away from us as we enter into eternity. Almost the less painful it becomes because it's already in us. So here they are, three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. Now, he said the greatest is love. We would say amen to that. But the other two are important as well, right? Faith and what? Hope. The more that we're able to develop this hope in us, not optimism, hope, the more that we can trust God deep within us and wait for that God. Like that is something that will never be taken from us, even into eternity. So it's important that we stoke that within us. 
And very interesting, I mean, to me, this, this next little passage of Scripture, so don't forget, faith, hope, and now, now watch this next passage. Paul ties all three of them. For we have heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Now, isn't that, that's like Paul. He's genius, brilliant. And in another letter, he's already talked about faith, hope, and those are the things that will last forever. And now I want to give you some more, like, boundary around that. For we have heard of your faith. Wait, wait, go back. We've heard of your faith in Jesus, your love for all God's people, which come from your hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. And then one last. Peter, I think, is this last one. Um, In God's great mercy, he's given us new birth into a, a living hope. A living hope. Like not just something that is like, like static, but it's a living hope. It's something that is within us and moving us and encouraging us through. through and here is the, where, where it's found for us as Christians. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now listen, like the early Christians, and I think we... we we downplay this a little bit too much in our own culture. The early Christians did not just hope for heaven when they died. For them, it wasn't about some mystical place up in the clouds that we can escape to when we stop breathing here on the earth. I think sometimes like that becomes our picture of hope, that one day everything's going to be good and I'm going to be in heaven and maybe I'll be one who gets some wings I don't know if I want wings, but flying is cool, so maybe that's good. Whatever it is for you, some of you envision like a golf course, and others think a golf course, that sounds terrible. It's not a golf course. You want to fight it? But that's what you think is like heaven when I die, like that's my hope. No, 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 no. For the early Christians, hope wasn't about a place to escape to. Hope was based in a person, and that person is Jesus, and Jesus overcoming death, like Jesus being resurrected from the dead, was a picture of what we have waiting for us. It's not about a place that we're going to go. No, no, it's about a person. And what happened in his, Paul at one point said, that's the first fruits. Like Jesus was just the first picture of what will happen to all of us. And our hope resides in this idea that even though we're faced with overwhelming circumstances, and guess what? One day, 98%, 98%, 99 no, 100% of the people in this room are going to die. Like, we're all going to die. We're all headed that direction. I didn't guess I would get an amen from that. But all of us, <laughs> like, we all are facing death, and you are one day closer, and so am I. Well, that's depressing, Matt. That's pessimistic. Thanks so much. Amen. Let's leave. No, our hope isn't in extending our lives here and now. Our hope is firmly, as Christians, if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, our hope is in Jesus Christ, who promises us that just like him, one day, we will be made new. And that process is starting in the here and now, but it will last into eternity. And these three three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is to develop love while we have the time. Isn't that a, a, a more round picture of hope?
not just optimism. It's not just saying, hey, things are going to get better. Yes. I can't see it, but I'm just a happy person. Now, some of your personalities are that. Like, you're just optimistic people. Some are pessimistic. Some of you just frown even when I tell you to smile. Just, it's your nature. But hope is not optimism. Hope is expectation that the same God who has worked in the past is the God who is working now and will bring about, bring about resurrection in the future. And that is where our hope is. It's not found in the circumstances. The circumstances may not get better. And that's okay. Because God is with us. God is for us. And God is in us. God is with us. God is for us. And God is in us. Ah, that's a good reminder. God is with us. God is for us, and God is in us. Uh, don't lose sight of that. So the band's going to come, and they're going to play just for a minute, and then we're going to sing a song. And um, as we sing this song together, uh, we want to give you freedom to move around the room. There's a cross uh, over here that um, just maybe it's a place you want to write a note, uh, even on your welcome card, and then just kind of put it at the foot of the cross as a way just to... Um, Give some of your anxiety, your prayer over to God. In the back of the room are some candles which represent God's presence. So maybe you just want to light a candle and ask God's presence to be with you. There's communion around the room, which is a reminder that our faith is firm in Jesus. And communion reminds us of his resurrection, which is where our hope is found. And uh, there's a prayer team that will be in the back of the room. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you today. We just want to give you some space. So would you, would you stand with me? And um, just as we start to sing, just feel the freedom to move around the room. Father God, you are good. And um, even in the midst of, of darkness and challenges and um, in the midst of fear and sickness, In the moments of divorce, broken promises, and moments of failure, you are still with us, and you're for us, and you're in us. And our hope isn't bound in circumstances, it's firmly planted in Jesus. the one who overcame death. 